listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back and happy new year. I, I know I'm a little late for that, but this is actually my first time behind the microphone since January 1st. So I'm going to say it and I know, I know it hasn't been that happy so far. Has more of the same in many ways. Some, some of the, in some ways worse. You don't have to tell me about all the nonsense in Washington and horror and American carnage, uh, ironically. But I remain hopeful, which simply means I don't know what's going to happen. And actually, I have been reflecting quite a bit on human contingency. Uh, in the light of reading Ted Chang's book of short stories, Exhalation, which, by the way, if you're looking for thought-provoking, really interesting stories, um, this is this is a great book. I, I mean, I found it on one of those best of the year book lists and devoured it. And uh, there's a lot in there about it, it, it's it's kind of like the Black Mirror of literature. These Short stories that riff on possibilities, just a little bent. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to explain all the free will and quantum physics and all the different things he touches on. But one of the things that he touches on is how very large things hinge on very small decisions. And I yeah, I just think about my own life. And actually, later in the show today, I'm gonna introduce you to. Um, one of my favorite human beings on the planet, Ali Tamposi. And if I, if I try to figure out like how I know Ali or why she's a big part of my life or how it is that my granddaughter lives a mile away from me here in Cincinnati and what that has to do with Ali has to do with Roman, has to do with a really stupid decision I made about real estate. I, you just sort of realize like, there are these small decisions that seem inconsequential at the time upon which all of our lives turn. And that means you really don't know what's going to happen. So even as grave and terrible as things are in Washington and as polarized as things are in this country, I still don't know. It, it could be a very small thing that somebody does that unlocks the key to bringing people back together. And so, since I don't know, I'm going to remain hopeful. And what that means is since I don't know, I'm going to remain humble about my ignorance and motivated to try to do good things because maybe one of them will catch and be that thing. And even if it isn't, it just feels better to be a soldier in the army of the good, um, an actor on behalf of the light. So, yeah, take that in your take that, put that in your pipe, and smoke it here in January of 2020. Now, listen, I've got. By the way, I have two other words for you, and I've said them before, and I'm going to say them again. Two other words for you who are struggling. Actually, I'm going to give you two words and then two more words. The first two words are Ted Lasso. 
Ted Lasso. Everyone I have recommended this show to has come back to me and told me it was a tonic. It was a life-changing experience to watch this show. And I know what you're going to say, but I can't get the show because it's on Apple TV and I don't have a subscription for that or whatever. And I'm going to say two more words to you. Free trial. Free trial. Apple TV has a one-week free trial, which is what we did. Cause you know, I don't, I don't do the cable and we don't do the, we don't spend the money on the TV. Um, but my goodness, in, 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 in the two weeks, it read the, the, the one week free trial, we were able to watch all 10 episodes of Ted Lasso changed my life. So two words, Ted Lasso, two words, free trial, two plus two equals four. This is my gift to you. Now my next gift to you, um, is that you can probably hear I've got some energy in my voice right now. And I, I really am hopeful, not only about life in general, but I'm hopeful about this, this podcast and what we're going to do in 2021. Um, and this next conversation I want to share with you is a good, good sign. It's, it's a great way to start the year. Now, if, those of you that have followed the show for a long time know that nepotism is a huge force in the show. Um, every year I have my son come on for at least one episode and everyone loves that episode. And I've, Marty's been on the show, my wife, my dad's been on the show. Um, but this one's different because in a weird way, I would be thrilled to have Ali Tamposi on my show if I never even knew her. I would be like, I booked Ali Tamposi, who is kind of one of Hollywood's, one of pop music's top, top songwriters. Uh, I mean, if you just looked her up on Wikipedia right now, you would see Beyonce, Kelly Clarkson, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, Camila Cabela, like top hits. I mean, she wins Songwriter of the Year awards from all over the place. She is a killer songwriter. Um, and so it would just be interesting to have like a famous songwriter on the show just to swap stories about Justin Bieber. But Ali Tamposi also has been part of my family for the last five years. And she is engaged to my son, Roman. And they have been together since they met in the parking lot of a grocery store when he was canvassing for Greenpeace and she was buying some groceries. And she is, as you will hear on this show, I mean, it took me a long time to get her to even be willing to do a show with me. And she's, she's nervous about talking. And it actually was a benefit to me that we did, I was going to do the show when we were visiting together, but we ended up not having the time to do that while I was, the last time I was out there. So we did this one in the, what do you call it? The distance way. But since Allie's been part of our family, she's been on a tear musically. Uh, she, she and Roman got together shortly after she got sober. I mean, she was a huge and successful songwriter before she got sober, but, but she's been churning them out the last five years. What I know from being close to her is that just like somebody might have, you know, one of my one of my favorite people in the world is a young fellow named Jordan, and he works at a grocery store. And every day he has to go into work, he is 
tense about it and nervous about it and it's frustrating and he ends up doing great but he's got a lot of angst about work and we talk about it when we talk and Allie's working in a different field and every day she goes into work there's angst and sometimes we talk about it and that's why I wanted her to come on the show because I wanted to talk about facing your demons uh, of insecurity because although she, because, because in some ways I would say that I've seen Allie change so much over the last five years. And what I was curious about was if she, if I could get her talking, if somehow we could get at what's changed and how she's growing. And in particular, whether or not growing as a human being has made it any easier to face her demons. And it, it ends up being a great conversation. I think you'll like it, but this is not a celebrity interview. This is a conversation about dealing with insecurity. And I mean, that's the shtick of the show ultimately is that I talk to interesting people about what they're doing, looking for connections that will help the rest of us be better at what we're doing. And I hope that's the case in this, in this show. So I'll see you on the other side. I think you're going to like this conversation um, I'm not going to say very much more. If you want to read up on Allie, I'll post a few cool articles about her so you can know like all the pop songs that you like that she wrote. And I'll see you on the other side. After much, it's funny for people as closely related as you and I are that it's taken this much do you have this time free? Can we make it happen, Hen? I How about know. next week? I know. Have your I people know. call my people. <laughs> well, we're here. We're here. So I bet you that 99, no, I bet you that, yeah, 99% of the people that have interviewed you in the past who have talked about like, how did you write that song? And what's it like working with that artist and all of that stuff um, have no idea the amount of emotional suffering yeah. that is involved with your career. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a really great uh, angle to take because um, yeah, I just don't think it's spoken about enough in general. I find that when I leave the studio or I'm not actively working on a project, I have to, I don't, um, you know, I don't instinctively listen to music or other musicians talk about the process. And, but I've noticed that, um, most conversations with, with musicians and creatives, um, it's mainly focused on, yeah, just like the process and what they worked on and what inspires them and all of that. But you don't really, you don't really hear, um, much about the emotional, trials and tribulations and traumas and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. I guess what I want to talk about, because, you know, the whole, you know, the whole shtick of the show is the idea that like, I talk to somebody who's doing something really specific, but that something they're learning in that world is useful to people who are just trying to make, live better lives. And, and, and in some ways, I feel like you experience insecurity and competition and worrying about what other people think of you on <laughs> steroids, like yeah. at a higher, 
And I guess you've had at least two different ways of coping with that. Um, right. <laughs> and the first sure. one didn't work out so well. Yeah, no. Nope. Um, before you talk about how you deal with it, could you try to describe for me why it is so painful to be in that business? I, d I don't think I was emotionally equipped um, when I moved out to LA. How old were you? I was 20. Okay. And my, I'd say like my, I started getting into um, the professional um, setting of music when I was 15. And that was, was that when you were, cause I, I remember you went to sort of some school to learn about recording. Yep. I was 17. 17. Okay. Yeah. So what were you doing at 15? Like what was, like what was your introduction to that world? Um, I, you know, I, I always did musical theater and singing lessons and all of that, but, um, I was introduced to a, um, a, an artist named Marty Centrone from the band No Mercy. They were really big in the eighties. They had that song, where do you go? My lovely. It was in this, I think it was in night at the Roxbury. Anyways, that was like, they were one hit wonder, I think essentially in America. So I was introduced to him and he was into, uh, and I, I think I sang for him cause he was looking for, um, artists to develop, um, at his production company. So I recorded a three song demo with him and, um, and that was really cool. I mean, I remember, um, you know, I, I remember being torn at that age though, as well. Like a part of me wanted to just play soccer with my friends and the other part, you know, knew that if music was something I really wanted to do, like this was, you know, I had to get started somewhere. So from there I got a record deal at 15 and, um, had made, uh, a few songs and a music video and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think it all happened too soon. And, um, I, and so that, that record deal sort of, you know, tale as old as time just sort of kind of fell through and, um, didn't and go so, anywhere. Yeah. It just, it kind of, you know, I learned a lot from the process and I was able to record, um, you know, a handful of songs, um, on tape, like the whole process was analog, which I actually appreciate now. And, and. Okay. So um, you graduate from that school, you're 18, right? 17. Yeah. You're 17. So you got three more years before you go to LA. Mm -hmm. What were you doing? So I met a producer in Miami who was working with some major recording artists. Um, I think I, yeah, we met at, at, we both had our cars towed in Miami. And so we were standing outside of this towing company and, um, and just got to talking and, and he, you know, it was just sort of like fate. Like he was really on the, the rise as a producer and I was desperate for any sort of situation, professional situation. Yeah. yeah. And so he said I should come by the studio and, um, it was kind of like, I guess somewhat of an audition period. And he was 
really skilled in beat making and um but he loved uh you know musicians so he would you know combine the mpc drums with spanish guitar and all sorts of stuff and i was playing a lot of piano and writing different chord progressions and and stuff on the piano and he didn't have a um i would never call myself a piano player pianist but he i had interesting variations of chords so he um he said hey you know let's we should try a few writing sessions and shortly after that i signed a production deal with with his company and his name's jim johnson and so now, was that a production I, deal for you as a songwriter as a as an artist oh, it's, you're, that, okay still i was still on that journey and because i really didn't know that there you know was a professional career path for a songwriter at that time i just kind of knew you know there were producers and then there were artists but um well nobody just, does nobody does because like everyone thinks that like Oh, that Justin Bieber song, Justin Bieber wrote that. And that right. Adele song, Adele wrote that. And that Taylor right. Swift song, she wrote that. And I mean, I know they write, they have something to do with the writing of the songs, but come to find out, a lot of people write songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, and I, I just, at that time, I would have thought, you know, just going on the, I mean, I was so young and, and I had my my mind set on becoming, you know, performing and doing that whole thing. And I'm so grateful that that wasn't the path that I ended up going down, but, but yes. So you're in LA and you, you, the, you know, you're just like, I just want to work. And you, and you start to sniff out opportunities. Like if I offer to write a song or if I work on a song, like there's, there's jobs there, there's opportunities there. Mm -hmm. And so you start doing that, right? Am I, right? You, like, you, yep. you, like you get some opportunities and you're good at it. So you get some more opportunities. Right. Like you're immediate, yeah. like, and, and again, like I'm not blowing smoke, but like, I'm like, you're immediately good. Like, like you may not be a superstar at that point, but like your chops show pretty, pretty quickly. People like the girl can write songs. I think, think so. I mean, you know, I don't know if it was luck or just my ability to recognize um, an area in in the session um, that needs to be filled and I was able to fill that that place. Like I there was if there was a, you know, strong lyricist in the room, I could quickly recognize that and really um play in and really become the melody writer and vice versa. And, um, and so I think that I just, yeah, I, I was, you were versatile. Yeah. I, I tried to be and but okay. But this, uh, and this is where this is okay. And this is, I think this might be the transition point where we get at what I, I think I know, but I don't know. Okay. Okay. Because when you say in the room, in the session, like there's really a room. There is. And, and, and in that room, there's some musicians, right? Yep. There's usually a producer, a songwriter who's also a musician, sometimes two, sometimes three, and an engineer 
or sometimes, I mean, sometimes the producers are capable right. of doing that job, but and so yeah. The and then, is the producer in charge of the session? Essentially. Like they invited yep. everybody over. Yep. Okay. And sometimes the artist who they're thinking might play this song, like sometimes like Ozzy Osbourne's in the room. Yep. Or, or sometimes Justin Bieber's in the room. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes people are like, let's write a song for Justin Bieber. And he's not there. Right. Okay. But the producers brought these people and he's pulled together some talent in the room. Yep. And everybody's in the room. And see, that's the place where when I ask Roman, like, I'm like, what do you think is this? X factor that Allie has that's made her so successful. He's like, she is really good at finding, like at navigating the egos in that room. Yeah. And, 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 and I hear you saying like figuring out where the gap is and where you can, where you can contribute, but also figuring out how you can contribute without pissing off a person who shouldn't be pissed off, like like that everybody's like, oh, I enjoyed having Allie in the room. Right. So, so it sounds like even early on, you knew how to be with a bunch of insecure artists and egocentric producers and be okay. Um, I wouldn't say early on. I, yes, I found... Um, the right concoction for me to uh, sort of endure that when I, you know, was just starting out in LA, which, you know, I'd say about two, three years and one, my first, uh, I guess, hit song out in LA. Um, I think the only, you know. What, what was the first hit? Uh, Stronger for Kelly Clarkson. Okay. And at that point, I sort of graduated into the professional uh, songwriting uh, league, and I was playing with people that were, and and I, and I felt like even at that stage, I just wasn't prepared for, you know, prepared emotionally, or um, I didn't feel like I had the, you know, I was skilled enough to work with these seasoned creative. So, um, after I'd say like, you know, a few really bad sessions, I started drinking and I found that, you know, I could sort of quiet the noise and focus in my mind and focus in on creating the best song and also feeling great doing it. you know, I just was really, um, you know, liquid courage is a real thing and it was really working for me for a while. So, so, it, so what was the courage for? Like, it, 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 what did it enable you to do? Like, is it about everybody's putting an idea out there and you're like, I have an idea, but I don't think I should say it. And then yeah, you drink and you can say it. Like, what is the, what is, what does the courage enable you to do? I just, you know, it, I could run I could run the room. I could walk in and I had the confidence to write, to, to say, to uh, express my ideas. And really, even if they weren't great ideas, I could convince you that they were. And, and, you know, and I just, I felt good enough to 
sort of free myself from any, you know, all my inhibitions and just let it flow. And could you, could you, could you interrupt somebody and say, no, 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 I've got this. Oh yeah. Big time. So you could be strong. Oh yeah. And, and bossy. Oh yes. I, 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 this, I, I've never seen this. I know. And that, and that's been a, a challenge to sort of, you know, with when I got sober five years ago, that was the hardest. That's the part of me that I, um, I kind of miss the most <laughs> about drinking. That's, that's, and I've, you know, I just kind of continue, you know, I stayed sober hoping that that piece of me would just naturally come, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, you know, that version of myself is in me somewhere, but, you know, I, I think that there's been, you know, the, the positive results from sobriety outweigh that, that sort of, um, that longing for that person. But, but, but yeah, but, I think, but wait, but wait, wait, I I'm imagining you as a young woman, like, I, I mean, and, and I just almost want to put this in parentheses, just like, okay, the musical ability, the ability to like hear the tune or to know what the lyric should be. I'm just going to take that as a given. Like you've written so many songs, like you've been in so many rooms. Like I know you can do that. The question isn't whether you can do it. The question is whether you have the courage to let it fly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you have the punch in there, but like, are you going to throw it? So, so given that you have that, I've got you in these rooms as a younger person and you, you struggled early and then you found drinking. You were like, drinking made you strong enough to show what you had. Right. Okay. To show up even. To just, show up. Yeah. So, and so, I, so, so, but what, here's the weird thing is, is you go like, yeah, I missed that part of me. And I, and I think, okay, so have you found another way to be strong or are you so respected that you no longer have to fight when you're in the room. And so you don't have to be strong. People are just like, they're quiet and they're like, what do you have to say, Allie? Like, have you found another way to be strong in those rooms or are you no, do you no longer have to be forceful? I mean, I, I still crave the urge to be forceful and whether or not um, I need it in the sessions, I still, you know, I'm, you know, it's still sort of a a struggle when there's really strong personalities that I'm working with. And, you know, I, you know, I want my idea to be heard. So with or with, I don't think that that, um, it, it really matters to me whether or not like I, these people, you know, I think that I still have that, I still crave that that validation. I want, you know, my ideas to be heard. And that's something that, um, I, you know, earlier on, it really affected me and now I can, I can sort of deal with it. You know, I can, you know, when you're, there's so many roles to be played in a session. Is it as basic as like, why did I say that? Oh Oh, yeah. That was the wrong thing to say. Oh Yeah. And what, oh gosh, they, I'll bet they think I was stupid when I did that. Is, is it, is it really back in middle school? Like completely replaying what was said at the lunch table and just wishing you had been cooler. Completely. Yes. Oh and I, and, and it, but it, 
And there's some things that really stick with you. Like there are some sessions where you're in with an artist you really respect and you've worked your whole career to get to this moment. And, um, you know, you're, you're writing with a few different people in the room and everyone wants the validation from the artist. And, you know, like, for example, this, this particular experience, I hope, you know, I hope I can let go of it, but just, you know, the, the songwriter that's sitting next to me, um, is taking my ideas that I was sort of humming underneath my breath and singing them out to the artist and the artist is taking, is giving him the validation and, and taking those ideas. And it just was happening like, you know, quite frequently throughout these few sessions. That's and, like a kid stealing, like copying off your test in, in math class. I know. Did, and just, didn't you find yourself just wanting to like move away so that you could hum in private? Oh gosh. Yeah, I did. But it's, you know, it, it's also very, you know, just like trivial. It just doesn't, um, it, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But doesn't it though? You can because easily, like later on when that song's a hit, do, don't the agents go back and go like, who hummed that tune? Who hummed that line? No, no. I mean, someone, there's usually someone in the, in the session that's taking account of every part, but it really doesn't matter. And that's why I've, I've you know, I've done well with working with people, um, consistently. Um, you know, I have a sort of crew of, of co-writers that, you know, you kind of, you, you feel comfortable enough with to, um, to let those things slide and you, you know, you have the confidence you need to, you know, you feel good about being in the room and you feel like you're, um, you're supposed to be there. And, and but, do you, is it one of those things where like, because like, I think about you write very often, I know with Andrew Watt, mm -hmm. who else do you write with a lot? With Lewis Bell. Okay. Uh, he's a producer and, um, uh, Ryan Tedder. And that's like my, yeah, my sort of, and that, there, you know, that's your posse. Yeah, I think so. We've been wor working together for the last seven years. So and here's so my question it, about those guys is if the four, if, if, if any combination of you are in the room together and, and the, the ideas are flying, do you just sort of, if they take one of your ideas or vice versa, do you just feel like it'll all even out in the end? We do this a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But then there's, you know, when you have a new artist, a newer artist that you haven't worked with before in the room, everybody is auditioning for that approval from the artist. And, um, it, so, so that, you know, that comfort quickly turns into. Even with those guys? Yeah. Some, you know, it just. It's like your you, brothers. Yeah. In a way, I think if you, I mean, you can really ruin a session if you allow that to, um, overshadow the purpose of why you're there. And that's to create, you know, a great song. And I think that people, it's hard, you know, it, there's a lot that goes into it. You have to, sometimes you're working with an artist that is an exceptional, I mean, I've written with artists that are better than the best songwriter I've ever written with. Um, and then there's other times where the artist thinks that they are, but they just aren't. <laughs> And you have to figure out how to... Okay, I won't ask you about the latter, but who's an artist that's better than any songwriter? 
Like who's a really good Bruno Mars? Okay, that that kind of doesn't surprise me. Oh my gosh. That guy can freaking do anything. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And um yeah, it just he can outplay anyone, outsing anyone, outright anyone, whole thing. So when everybody's in the room with Bruno Mars, is is there an ego contest going on? Like if I could just put something out there that he would go, cool. Oh yeah. I'm validated forever. Or for the next five minutes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you you're you've got a, a really uh good few weeks ahead of you. <laughs> just from one like <laughs> just from one compliment. You know, you know, when I was in college, um, I went to this really fancy private school for two years called Haverford College. Um, uh-huh. And that was actually, a, I would say, a more academically stimulating place than when I transferred to Brown, which was, you know, this like fancy Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. I was in this one class at Haverford College and my professor, I still remember his name, Ronald Thiemann. He ended up becoming like the dean of the Harvard Divinity School. He was a big heavy hitter in religious studies. Um, and we were in this class together. I was a, I think I was a freshman or maybe, yeah, I think I was a freshman or maybe a sophomore. I was only there two years. And it was, a, I, I had gotten special dispensation to be in the class. I was there with a lot of upperclassmen. And it was one of these classes where somebody would, we would all read something. Somebody would write a paper about it. They would read the paper and then we would all discuss the paper as a way into Oof. talking about the text. Okay. So this guy writes this paper. So like when you were writing the paper, like it was the most important thing in the world that you write the paper because you're going to have to read it aloud to everyone. Gosh. And then it was going to be critiqued in front of your face. That's rough. But one class I hadn't done the, I hadn't written the paper, but, but somebody was, you know, doing their thing. And as somebody's making a comment, I think of something I think is a brilliant insight. And so I write it in the margin of my note. I raise my hand. He calls on me. And I said, I think what, what Kierkegaard was really driving at in this thing was this. And Dr. Thiemann looked at me and he, and, and he wasn't mad or anything. And he just said, no, no, that's not it at all. And then he called on the next person. Oh, God. And he, like, it, 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 it wasn't a put down. It wasn't like you're an idiot. He's just like, no, that, that's, I'm sorry, that's not it at all. And it, I, I mean, you know, it's, 40 years later, 35 years later, I still, I just, I remember the feeling. Oh yeah. And And it's interesting if you would have, you know, if he would have, if you would have killed it, you probably would have felt good, like I said, for a few weeks. And then you would have, you know, that memory sort of fades, but those- We hold the negative ones. Oh man. Cause yeah. And that, that comes with its own, you know- set of baggage, which is like that feeling of like, oh gosh, I hope they don't find another uh, female songwriter that's going to just outshine me. But um, at this point, it's just, it's sort of Is there like a rule only one female songwriter in the room at a time? No, not, definitely not. And that's also another thing. But usually, you know, if they're, if the artist that we're working with is a female, I think, um, you know, in in my experience, it's just better to just have two females and two males. Um, but yeah, I crave, I definitely crave um, female energy when I'm surrounded by, you know, I, I think I've, I mean, I grew up with brothers, so I'm able to, I've just been 
you know, this has been a, I've able to like sort of feel comfortable in that, in that space. But when there is another female songwriter in the room, I'm reminded of like, oh my gosh, this is, this feels like I've got my, I've got my girl. Like I, you know, I feel like we can. It's interesting, um, Holly, because I don't imagine you using sexuality as a tool in these situations. Where does that play out among all these, you know, with all this insecurity and all these people and in male in, 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 in situations where sometimes you're the only woman or there's two women? Like, is that, is that a factor? I mean, I have sort of, you know, really suppressed that, like, I haven't really talked about this much, but like, I think I've suppressed that side that sort of, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, feminine sexual side of myself so much so, um, so that I could really feel, um, like I earned my spot based off of my skills Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, there was a time in my life when I think I, I prided myself on that, but I also think that, that I'm trying to relearn how to be, um, you know, how to feel like more comfortable in my skin in that sense. Like I, you know, I, I feel like I sort of morph into one of the guys in the studio just so that it's, you know, I've been fortunate that I haven't been in, in many uncomfortable situations in, um, in the studio and in the music industry. I mean, there's, you know, a few things like I've, that have happened in meetings where there's been comments and whatnot, but nothing that has really um, held me back or um, kept me up at night. It's funny. It's, it's funny when you talk about it that way, because I realized that as a man, like I might use my charm or charisma, surpri- surprising as that sounds, um, <laughs> but I might, especially as a younger guy, I could use that. And, and like, in a sense, there's this sense in which you felt the need to, to, to kind of almost tone that down. And that's, yeah, it's kind of unfair if people expected you to be that, but it's also unfair if you're not allowed to. Right. Right. Um, But I feel like probably the truth is, is that if you would have played that way, it would have put you in an awkward position. Most definitely. Yeah. And I think I've just become this, this, this is just the way I am now. And I think it also... Um, the, I, I guess I deal with the negative repercussions of it where there are areas that I, you know, in outside of the studio where I would, you know, when I'm around my girlfriends or just, you know, with Roman and, and put on like a sexy dress and feel yeah. sexy. And it just, I, it takes, you know, I'm, I kind of, I'm looking for that. Uh, you banked that, that fire and then it's hard yeah, to reignite it. Yeah, it is. And, um, the person I was five years ago is completely different than the person I am today. The way my, the way I think, the way I, I mean, and I think that a lot of that has to do with meeting the right partner with Roman. I mean, he complete like he, he just completely changed. No, he he's, and, and he, he is a force of nature when it comes to reshaping somebody's confidence in themselves. Yep. And perspective on the world and yeah. really opening up my my uh heart and soul to 
you know, the beauty in life and recognizing the power of stillness and, um, yeah, big ideas and yeah, all that stuff. And that, and that's really where my, my, you know, my personality, my, my, my world has become so much bigger and there's so much more than just what I do. You know, that's, yeah. I have this client, this, this guy I work with, um, who just had the most horrible upbringing and his mom took everybody's side against him in every situation, never had his back and his dad wasn't there. And he just, he was a little slow and everything has just like school was misery for him and life has been really hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, high school was really hard for him. And the other day he was like, he, he's haunted by thoughts. And I was like, let just let, let's drag him out. Tell me some of them. And he told me these, some, a couple of just heartbreaking stories. And then he was like, I can't believe I'm still thinking about this 35 years later. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, you want to hear my horror story? Like my most embarrassing moment, the time when that teacher made me humiliated me, or do you like, I've got stories like that too, but I realized like the huge difference is everybody has to go to high school. But some people go home and their parents put them back together or their boyfriend puts them back together or their yeah. wife puts them back together and and other people go home and those horrible thoughts from what happened at high school just bounce around in their head all, for the rest of the day or are even amplified by what happens outside. Right. And so like when That's I think true. about when I think about you, I go like, oh, damn it. It's still like going to high, like you're still walking in the room and you're still like fighting for your spot and wondering if you said the right thing and driving away with a little insecurity. And I'm like, yeah, the difference isn't what happens in the room. It's what happens after, you know, before you go in and after you come out. Totally. Totally. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's the only like kind of humanizing lesson here is, is that there are some, there are some domains in our lives where we will never be comfortable. And where we will never feel entirely safe. Um, and the best we can do is to build lives mm-hmm. <laughs> on the outside of that, that repair us and strengthen us and enable us to keep that in perspective and to go like, the, that was a tough day in the, set, in, in the studio, but like, that's not my whole life. Yep. I think that's a perfect way to sum this up Yeah, because it is... It is um, completely saved saved me emotionally having that, and also not just identifying as the songwriter, but also you know yeah. There's just I mean it's rare that I I have most of my friendships are with my best friends or women outside of the music industry and um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I feel like your your involvement in our family is so, you know, so disconnected from. I mean, we're all thrilled, and we all, you know, we all get excited about stuff. But it's not. It, it it's it's like you come home from high school, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, it's that, and, 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 you know, and I love it so so much. Yeah. I value it and appreciate it, and you know also wish that I had, you know, that I had 
a lot of love growing up, but it was just in coming from, you know, it wasn't organized love. It was just- (laughs) Organized love is a different, is a different animal, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah. being part of a squad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting too, because I think like your first coping mechanism actually changed the dynamics in the room. And your second coping mechanism goes like, yeah, nothing we can do about the room. Let's, right. let, let's, let's, let's strengthen everything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a wisdom there and an acceptance that there are some things in life that y- you can't change the, is, you know, I, I think about like some of the people who are in my audience who have, you know, spiritual differences with their family. So like every time they go home for Thanksgiving, they get hammered or, you know, or other kinds of other kinds of areas of their life where there's no changing the fundamental system. And you go like, yeah, in that case, it's all, there are some things which you have to accept, like this is going to be this way. And the only way I can fix it is really unhealthy. (laughs) The only way I can change it is really like, it's really destructive. And so then you go like, okay, how do I build everything else around it so that I can handle this thing I have to handle? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ali, thanks. Like, did, I mean, like, I, like I'm, I'm not, I, sometimes I want to go like, did we leave anything out? And I'm like, we left like practically everything out. But like, <laughs> do you feel okay about this? I do. I really do. I mean, I forgot that, that we were being recorded. So it just feels like good. another one of our great phone calls. Yeah. Well, good. That's that. I mean, that's, that's good. That's the way it's, I mean, like that when it works, that's, and that's what I told you. I said, like, we're just going to have a conversation. I'm not even going to be interviewing you. Yep. You know, I'll probably end up talking too much. And I did. So. No, um, it was great. But, I just, I hope there was something of, oh, of golly. substance yeah. in there. <laughs> All right. That was me and Ali Tamposi, my sort of daughter-in-law already, girlfriend of my son, and all-around person I love. And I hope, I, you know, it, what's interesting is, is that people always say that when Roman is on the show, the thing that's the most inspiring to them is just to hear kind of the conflict and yet love that is very present between us and, and, and sort of respect without control. And I don't know what you hear when you hear me talking to Allie, but if, if, if that comes through, and like sometimes people will say, I heard that when you were talking to this total stranger, like it was like you were becoming friends right before my eyes. And I think that's the best thing about conversational podcasts is that sometimes you, you pick up on an emotional connection. I, I know I do when I listen to people. You pick up on an, o- an emotional connection. I'll hear Sam Harris interviewing somebody and I'll go, oh, he respects this person, but then he'll get on the next interview and I'll be like, oh, he likes that person or he loves that person. And I just think it's f- a joy to get to sample the connections that are possible. And... One of the things that I hope happens is that people start to look at conversations. I think, I think what I'm hoping is happening in this podcasting world 
is that people listen to conversations and part of, partly they go like, hey, it's fun to overhear other people's conversations when they're letting you. But also that maybe we start to – have you ever known somebody who watches movies and they or, or they, they, they almost act as though they're in a movie? Or have you ever been in a car driving and you're like, this is sort of like a movie scene and you turn on the music and you, you hold yourself as if you were being filmed? Like you're, in, you're the star of the movie in your own mind. In some ways, I think some of our relationships would really do well if we – thought about them as podcasts and if we tried to connect with the other person in a way that we would be proud of or in a way that we would be happy enough to share it um or if we sometimes imitated our favorite podcasters in like terry gross or um somebody like that or krista tippett for some of us or uh, or, or little pieces of them in, in the way that they engage other people that is so humanizing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, this is not an idea I've worked out. I'm just thinking about it now. I know it's after the podcast, probably everyone's turned it off, but letting other, letting conversations we watch shape the way we approach talking to people. And, and in particular, sometimes talking to people that are really different from us or people that we, that we don't know very well. I think there's something there. Look, it's an idea. I'm bouncing it around. That's what we're going to do all year long. We're going to bounce around ideas and hope that they humanize us. And uh, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the journey. And I'm glad you're part of it. And I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, You're cool.